0: Hello and welcome to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and I'm ready to talk all things sports in Salford. Joining me the show this week, as ever, we have Jane Sweeten from the Sweeten Salisley Podcast. How's your week been, mate? Honestly, Rob, it's
1: more the weekend that you need to ask me about. The overall week, I suppose, was fantastic. Thinking about, is it going to come home? And I thought it was. And then, ultimately, last night, uh, on Sunday, this was, uh, our dreams came crashing down. Well, of course, we're recording this on the Monday, but... Uh, yeah, uh, truly devastating. We'll get on to that football fixture, but yeah, uh, devastated for England, devastated for all the lads, especially the three penalty kick takers that missed. But yeah, Southgate's gets the one,
0: we still believe, and yeah, I can't wait to talk about it over the course of the show. Yeah, let's start with that, James. Football did not come home on Sunday night. England were beaten by Italy on penalties, 3-2, James pure drama throughout the country was a wave of optimism and joy uh, but unfortunately penalties again and England go down to defeat.
1: Yeah, penalties never our strong point. We've now won two of nine uh, in international competitions and hopefully I think a lot of us fought after the victory over Colombia maybe we could have turned that bad look around but it seemed to me more of an anomaly than a, a permanent fixture for that for us winning those penalty shootouts but it was absolutely horrible wasn't it Rob? I mean we looked so good throughout the tournament, hadn't we? And after the Ukraine and Denmark games, people really, really believed it. Of course, the Germany game as well—that probably being the catalyst for people getting really excited. But it just wasn't meant to be, was it? I mean, we started extremely well. Luke Shaw bagged the goal within three minutes in, and arguably we conceded a little bit too easily, a little bit too early rather, because we just sort of ended up being a bit complacent. Italy took over. And as we all know, once Italy get on the ball, once Italy are in a rhythm, they're almost impossible to beat. They, of course, scored their own goal. Bonucci bagging for them. Jordan Pickford making a good save at the near post. But it's staying in play and Bonucci being able to get a foot on it. And it went in. And then after that, it was Italy all over us, really, wasn't it? For at least the 90 minutes. And then... Over the second course of extra time, Italy, once again, probably looked the better side. We had a bit of a good go in the last 10 minutes or so, but when it went to penalties, it always felt, in my mind, that England were going to lose. And Pickford gave us a bit of hope, didn't he? When he say Bellotti's penalties. And then Kane and Maguire, especially Maguire, took an excellent penalty. And then Rashford, Sancho and Sacco all missed. And Italy, of course, became the European champions for the second time in their history. The first in 53 years, which is the longest ever gap the champions reclaiming their title, but extremely disappointed. But all in all, for me, Italy probably the best side of the tournament.
0: Yeah, looking obviously back at the uh, the moments of the game, uh, James, the Luke Shaw uh, goal, uh, you know, he's, he's been on a bit of a journey since his Jose Mourinho days and to score in the Euro Championship Finals, uh, what a moment for him. An amazing moment, Rob. An absolutely fantastic moment because Jose Mourinho really,
1: really hurt Luke Shaw's confidence. And he was able to come to this tournament, play absolutely fantastically and score one hell of a goal, which made the whole entire country proud and gave us belief that football was well and truly coming home. Yes, the whole side got complacent throughout the game and maybe we didn't quite do enough to bring it home. But Luke Shaw himself was absolutely phenomenal. And I hope Jose Mourinho was locking that and feeling a sense of regret that he got it wrong. Luke
0: Shaw's a fantastic footballer. Do you think Gareth Southgate got it wrong after that because obviously that first sort of 5 10 15 20 minutes England were were flying Italy were were in trouble as to be said and we didn't seem to be able to sort of break the Italians down after that um do you think obviously Southgate should have really put his put the team's foot to the medal and try to get for that second early one It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, with a side like Italy, you don't want them to settle into their rhythm
1: because once they're in it, they're silky smooth and they're fantastic. Mm. and They're really, really hard to beat. They'll control the midfield and they're a nightmare. So I think we needed to attack early. I think scoring as soon as we did, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword because in one way, we did score a little bit too early and we became a little bit complacent. But if you look at the other end of the coin... We needed it because as soon as Italy settled, they're impossible to break down. They're impossible to score against. Mm. It wasn't like we had an abundance of opportunities, did we? England had a big opportunity early and we took it and we had to take it because there was no guarantee we were going to get one late. As for Gareth Southgate, did he get anything wrong? I don't want to criticise a man who's done absolutely brilliantly in two back-to-back tournaments because he's well and truly brought the whole country together, hasn't he? Let's not make any bones about it. Everybody's believed in Gareth Southgate. He got us to the semi-finals in the World Cup when we uh, sadly launched against Croatia. And then he's got us all the way back to a final here. So nothing bad can be said about Gareth Southgate. He's made decisions that have been criticised and in some opportunities, he's, he's proved people wrong, hasn't he? People had a go at him for playing Sterling and Sterling's had phenomenal moments at the European Championships. Everything he's done, he's done right. But did he get it wrong? with the penalty kicks. Bringing on Marcus Rashford and, J- and Sancho so late in the game was a costly error in my opinion because they were cold and they came on and they were told that they were basically playing for one moment to take a penalty kick and that's a massive, massive amount of pressure to give two players considering that they barely kicked a ball all tournament. And then Sacco taking the last penalty, that was a real issue in my book, Rob. To put all that pressure on 19-year-old, I thought it was too big an ask.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's two moments really you've got a question. Uh, the the fact that when we went one nil up, um, you know, the, the fact that we just decided to sit back and defend, go into two sort of two banks of four and, and said, Come on, Italy, try and beat us. And to be fair, the Italians did. They they definitely sort of breached our defences at least a couple of times uh, you know last you know gasping defending and, and tackling and and Pickford pulling out some saves as well you know stopped Italy from scoring and like you said with with the penalties um, you know the likes of when Ratchford misses and Sancho comes on as well and, and misses it, tactically if it were if they both score and we and we go through and win it then Gareth Southgate's lauded as a hero, but because they didn't score, then you have to question his his judgment. Saka, the Saka thing for me, you've got senior players there who are on the field who should be stepping up in front of him to take that penalty. Saka's only, what, 19? What a responsibility to put on a young kid's shoulders. At at home, in front of a nation, in front of 30 million people to say, go and score that. And he's only kind of new to the international scene as well. I suppose the pressure will help him, um, you know, for future. But you're just hoping that the people around him and his family are there for him now in the next uh, few weeks.
1: Most certainly.
0: I hope everybody rallies around him.
1: I hope all the England fans rally around him. I hope Gareth Southgate rallies around him, as we saw him doing after he missed the penalty. And let's not forget Gareth Southgate's been there himself. And He knows how painful a moment that must have been for Saka. But one of the things that we need to address, Rob, is the sickening racism that's been uh, that the three uh, black players, Marcus Rashford, Sancho, and Saka, have had to deal with online because it's absolutely disgusting. You're not an England fan if you're making comments about people's race simply because they've missed a penalty. Disgusting stuff.
0: Yeah, it's terrible. It's, ter- it's terrible that that kind of thing happens in society, James, and football. Is is a thing that brings everyone together, and because of them three missing the penalty, you know people get frustrated and 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 do really bad things like that, and they should be punished. These people who are hide behind profiles on social media, they they should be punished for their actions in in moments like this. And you're hoping that the social media channels can get together and 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 kind of make uh, people become. Responsible for the words and responsible for their actions because you know that will stop them doing it. And yeah, it's terrible. And and you're hoping that they can recover, especially Marcus Rashford, who's done so much off the football field in these last twelve months with a pandemic. Uh, you know, for him to get a backlash is just plainly wrong.
1: Yeah, Marcus
0: Rashford, a fantastic player on the pitch and
1: also off it. I mean, as you mentioned, what he's done for for children across this country has been nothing short of absolutely phenomenal. And People criticise the taking of the knee. Um, people claim that, you know, you shouldn't bring politics into football. But when you see the amount of racism that's been directed towards these three young lads, I mean, I've seen monkey emojis. I've seen, you know, the N-word used excessively, which is obviously absolutely disgusting. What, they, this is why they have to take an knee, Rob, because these issues exist in football. And taking the knee is taking a stand against these people. And, you know, I hope they continue to take the knee because uh, I think it helps bring light to
0: these sickening comments that are made. Yeah I suppose as well James we can't forget you know the fans trying to storm the stadium as well and you know that's another thing obviously football is is a family sport and you know people bring in the families to the kids to the match they don't they don't expect to get involved in anything like that and that brought terrible shame on the, on the country um you know and, and the people at home because obviously we'll be we we'll were looking at hosting major tournaments in the future and if we and if that kind of image is beamed out across the the world then it's not going to help our chances is it well, it's not good for the England brand whatsoever, is it, Rob? I think it's appalling
1: behaviour by these England fans. I mean, I've seen a video of one man getting stamped on by about 10 England fans at once. I've seen a fully grown man punch you know, a 14-year-old lad. It's, it's absolutely appalling. It's not a good reflection on England at all. But let's remember, these are the minority. These horrible racists and these horrible hooligans are in the minority. The bulk of English fans are absolutely exceptional people. And I hope these exceptional fans that we do have really support the three lads we missed. It's yeah. so important that they do that because those three lads will be devastated right now. Let's get behind them. They've got fantastic futures, mightily talented players, and they had the bottle to step up and take
0: a penalty. Obviously, looking back at the whole tournament, James, which English player kind of impressed you the most? Who impressed me the most. That's so difficult to
1: say. I think I'm going to go with Jordan Pickford. I think he was phenomenal throughout the tournament. I mean, we didn't concede for five whole games, which is absolutely superb. We broke a record there. And then he saved two penalties which I also think needs a great deal of credit. But it's something I want to cover within that penalty shootout quickly. And once again, I don't want to criticise Gareth Southgate for the amazing, amazing job he did in 2018. He convinced the whole world that football was coming home. He united a country that year. It was an absolutely fantastic summer. We got so close, but ultimately went out to Croatia. And then this tournament. once again, absolutely fantastic. Those victories over Germany, the Ukraine, Denmark, we all believed Yes, in my opinion, he got it wrong with his penalty tip, Kay. Because, I mean, I felt bringing on two lads who were so cold and hadn't played any football throughout the tournament, I thought that was a bad move. And then trusting all that pressure of the fifth penalty on a 19 year old lad, I didn't like that at all. But something that's so important to mention, and a mistake I think was costly, is that it was Gareth Southgate's decision to pick those lads. Jack Grealish and Raheem Sterling were both heavily criticised for not stepping up. Grealish has posted a message on social media on his Twitter page saying that he asked, to step up and he was told no and Saka was picked over him for me that was a costly error Rob I mean Gareth Southgate fantastic he's done so many good things we need to praise him for that because he's been amazing but we
0: think we also need to criticise that decision yeah I agree I agree with that Jack Grealish you just mentioned him before what a, what a great tournament he's had got the X Factor can make the difference in big games. Uh, And yeah, a question has to be asked why Gareth Southgate didn't pick him uh, to to go and take a penalty. He he sounds like he wanted to take one and for him not to be given that opportunity will probably rank as a a really big missing in his career, really. Uh, But we have a bright future. We've got some fantastic um, you know players out there, uh, Calvin Phillips, another one who, who's been great uh, for us uh, this uh, this tournament. You know, fantastic the the Yorkshire Pirlo. Uh, that's what that's that's what they've called him. You know, for his, his simple plays, be able to distribute the ball and it, it, players like him in that midfield help the likes of you know Rice uh, and and Henderson and, and the other midfielders to really perform well.
1: Yeah, most certainly, Rob. There's so much to build. We've got so much young talent in the squad, and those players, Rashford. Sacco and Sancho, I think, will be a massive part of the England setup going forward. I think they'll all become international legends. And we were talking earlier off, uh, off the radio about the Qatar tournament that's coming up just next year, of course, with COVID postponing the year, as so we don't have to wait very long to get onto the next international tournament. It'll be in Qatar in the winter of next year, Rob. Have we missed the boat? Did we have two huge opportunities in 2018 and 2021 to win huge tournaments? or are we simply building on momentum and Qatar's another fantastic
0: opportunity. Well, Qatar's in a different uh different different ball game and it. It's so warm even though they play it in winter over there. We're going to have to sort of adapt our play- playing style, but I think the positive thing James is that we've got a midfield there that can keep the ball and we might be able to be able to deal with that heat by playing a different way. So we're going to have to see how that, how that plays out. Um it's going to be exciting to see What Gareth Southgate's men can do because obviously, you know, the semi final defeat. Uh, in the in the World Cup the Euros final defeat we're a team that's going in the right direction James and, and that's an important thing looking forward for the uh, for everything and the, the, the country needs it we need it and it's going to be super exciting uh, to talk all about it on the Sports Zone let's talk domestic uh, football now and uh, salford City our local uh, side they played their first friendly Atherton collieries uh, and uh, won 3 nil. great result for them James yeah, most certainly a great result. We're happy for Salford City. I think last year we had
1: a really good season. We just want to build on that momentum, don't we, going forward? And I think Salford have a good chance of doing that. And maybe they can even make the playoffs this season.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fine. Obviously, um, the manager, Gary Burgess, with 30 seconds to go, he, he's going to be happy you know, that he may be able to put a team out there and perform uh, and hopefully you know, can build on that for the next friendly
1: most certainly I think the team's only going to get better and better and I think in closing I just want to quickly mention Denmark I think the whole side of Christian Eriksen proud getting to the semi-finals of the competition Spain as well having a good campaign going out in the semi-finals and lastly in big news uh, Preston North End will host Manchester United in a pre-season friendly which is a, a big
0: one for us all and I'm sure we'll break that
1: down close to the time
0: yeah so there's loads and loads to talk about on the Sports Zone and we're going to be talking next with Paul Whiteside Rugby League and South Red Devils and Swinton Lions So, let's now talk Rugby League and South Devils. Paul, what a fantastic win from South Devils today. They travelled to Casper Tigers and won 70 points to 18. Talk us through it.
2: Yeah, it was a terrific uh, performance, really. I mean... People might say that, that Castle had had a few players out and whatever, you know, for the for the Challenge Cup final. But Salford, have, I think there's about 11 players missing today, you know, from our 1st team, two. We've got a lot of injuries and suspensions and a couple of lads came in on loan who'd not played. Plus the fact they don't, they'd not trained all week. So, you know, they started the game pretty poorly, really. Grant Millington went over and he sort of sense behind the stick. So, it's same old Salford, we're going to get uh, get lumpy. But we got back into the game with a couple of tries uh, from forwards, actually. Great. Um, Oliver Robertson and Jack Almond had scored from close range to, to to put us in front, and then Morgan Esker, who I thought was excellent today, scored uh, scored a super try, and then Reese Williams also got on the score sheet, um, breaking away as well for for a good try. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was a good performance from us, really. So um, I, I, I didn't see that that coming in the first half, but to get twenty two point twenty two six up, I think we was at half time. It was a, it was a good start to the game. and, we seem to be taking advantage on that right edge. and we, we, Christian Inu, I thought, was a big uh, plus for us. He's a real calming influence on the team. And, you know, he does a lot of talking on the pitch. And I think he, he sort of uh, gave that impetus to the side that perhaps we, we've been missing of late. But Cass then scored the first try of the second half. And at 22-12, they were back in the game there. And you got the feeling Salford needing to score next. And they did. They scored quite a few tries there back-to-back and, and took the sting out of uh, the Tigers then, really.
0: I spoke to Richard Marshall after the game. And this is what we have to say congratulations on a big win this afternoon how do you and your players feel after a tough few
3: weeks yeah that's really the icing on the cake for this week we we were like i said earlier 48 hours ago we, we cobbled a team together on friday we had six players who trained on wednesday and i didn't see that performance or result coming. i just thought if we can get there and sneak a win we'll have done well we'll we did, we, we, did a, we did a really good job. I know the Casper team wasn't the, the full strength. We're not stupid here. But at the same time, you still got to play, you still got to execute your plays. I thought we did that really well. And uh, it was a great team performance.
0: Yeah, you trained with six people uh, this week and you've gone to Casper and scored 12 tries. Uh, is it going
3: to be a thing moving forward that you only train with six next week? <laughs> and 10 days isolation for the rest of them. Didn't do Leeds <laughs> any harm. I was thinking, reflecting, Leeds came. We, you know, we thought we'd get leads cold um, sometimes to have 10 days off. They've had our strength and conditioning, uh, Gaz Whittaker, has done a real good job with putting plans together. They've been doing everything. They've been posting it on our WhatsApp group. We know exactly what the players have done. Uh, they've been really professional about what they've done off the field. And I thought, again, professional, prof- real professional on it today um, to execute the plays and score that many points.
0: Yeah, they played with lots of fluidity, didn't they, and creativity. Do you think that was because there was, there was less pressure, because obviously with the situation they found themselves in?
3: Yeah, it sometimes can work in your favour. Um, they obviously looked at the Casper team. I thought the pack was strong from Cas, um, and it was in the first 20 minutes. But yeah, I think when you, when you, when, when you break the back of, of a team, which we did in that second half, and we get to that 40-point mark, and they're still on 12-18... You start to play. We did the same against Lee uh, when it was 8-6 for for a long time and we scored a couple of points and then we opened the floodgate. So, um, you know, the formula is, yeah, let, let's enjoy ourselves, enjoy the way we play, take the pressure off the players.
0: Yeah, you talk about the smarts a lot. In this type of game, is that most important thing, keeping the players switched on?
3: Yes, it is. Uh, we had a couple of blips, short kickoffs, and things like that. And our rook defence, we, we fell off a couple of tackles. We bounced off a few in the first half. Uh, We know we're buying nowhere near the finished article. We're not going to get carried away with 70 points away at Cass against, you know, a second string team, really. Uh, We've got to be realistic about that. We're going to have a a tougher proposition next week and going forward. But but for everything that we've done this week, or not done, uh, I thought we did a real professional job. Yeah, Christian in return, kicked 11 goals, was great throughout. Good to see him back on the field. Yeah, he's been a big loss for us um coming back off his suspension. And uh yeah, he he was strong carrying the ball. He's his talk is he's immense on that edge, and he's just an all-around good player for us, good leader. We need some senior players. Most of our senior players aren't playing Watkins, Sargentson, Kev Brown, Lee So he stepped up. I thought Greg Burke stepped up in that area as well. And the Ackers controlled the game from from Hooker and, and Morgan was was really effective, I thought, as well at fullback.
0: Yeah, honestly, Wakefield uh, next week different kind of challenge uh, to this one. It will be,
3: it will be. They they like to throw the ball around. We'll get challenged defensively again. Castleford unpicked us a couple of times with some wide shifts. We need to look at that defensively. Um, but if we can kick the ball in the corners, defend, limit the field position for Wakefield because they are a good attacking team. I think yeah, we'll have a good we'll have a good day out. But we've got to get 17 players again. You know, we'll lose the Saint Helens players, so we've got to replace them. At some point, we've, we'll, we'll see what we've got this week. Any injuries from today's game? Uh, nothing of significance, uh, which is really good. I, I brought off Andy Akers, Ryan Lannon, Paulie towards the end, just, just because I knew we didn't have a hooker next week. If if Andy Akers goes down, we have, we all have a hooker. So yeah, uh, we, we are we're already planning next week. Cheers, Rick. Good luck. Thank you. So
0: that was Rich Marshall talking to me after the game, Paul. Yeah, because that's the important thing, Paul. Obviously, Castleford were depleted. They've got the cup final next week. Um, so you could see them having one eye on that. But you can only beat what's in front of you. And I think Richard Marshall's men did a fantastic job doing that. Obviously, like you said, we've we've slipped on banana skins before. Uh, but not this time. They were, they were composed throughout. Creativity, like you said, Chris Atkin and Declan Patton, both kind of moving the ball around very well. And it kind of gives you a, a kind of hope uh, that, you know, there's good better things to come in the future with this team.
2: Yeah, certainly. And I thought, as I said before, Morgan Esqueray, I thought, played really well today. He looked really, really dangerous. He had a try and disallowed actually for being offside. It was a lovely kick from Chris Atkin. Esqueray sort of read it really well and it deserved a try, but that was brought back for him being offside. But we scored three tries in the last sort of five minutes of the game as well. Atkin was excellent. You know, uh, young Dan Norman came on and scored a try. Ben Davis, who we've got back on loan from from St. Helens, he came on and he sort of played in the back row for us today. he, He looks like he might be better suited there in the second row. And he scored a... A real good try there, real good determination. And then Reese Williams, you know, that, that try he scored, you know, racing the full length of the field. He just pouched the ball from a kickoff. Can't remember who passed in the ball now, but he just shook his hips like he does and, and went through there. And I was really pleased for, for Williams because he's probably not had the service he deserves this season. We've got two really good tries today. Then obviously, you know,
0: with the games coming up um, and his injuries hit squad and the COVID hit squad, it's, it's
2: been a difficult time for him. Yeah, it certainly has. I mean, well, we've not played for two weeks, have we? But it's been difficult. We've had we've had two games postponed uh, due to, to COVID and then the, the training situation of players having to self isolate. So it's been it's been really tough for him. So I mean, I know Cass have got players out today. We still had some season pros in there, Castleford, you know, playing for the likes of Danny Richardson, that Senna Lefeo, Grant Millington, the people who played for them before. So. You can I don't think you can read much into that. It's, it's pretty difficult to score seventy points in an eighty-minute match, anyway. So that's our record scoring Super League. I can never remember a scoring sixty points in Super League, let, let alone seventy. So, you know, especially away from home as well. So, what well, it's done for us we was winning at Huddersfield a few weeks ago. Now, you know, we, we've got to go to the Wakefield game on Friday now and get a result in that one because, you know, four wins, it, it'd be a super um, super return from from where we were, really, because we, we were struggling, weren't we? And now we're, we're sort of three points in front of the league. We've gone above Huddersfield, Giants as well. I think if we beat Wakefield, we've got a chance of going above them as well. So you're starting to look up the table rather than down it. So we've got to build on this now, Rob. We really need to build a bit of momentum and hopefully getting some players back in the next couple of weeks from suspensions as well that a win is only going to do your, your confidence going to score 70 points scoring tries people have got smiles on the face you know confidence will start building
0: yeah I, I agree with that Paul it's obviously about building confidence um, yeah what, what obviously are, are we are now at a point where we are looking up the table rather than looking down like you say Liam Marooned at the bottom and um, we've picked up a few few wins uh, now and then at last, for, last few weeks which, which is important for Richard Marshall confidence and the players
2: Yeah, it certainly is, but you've got to build on that now. It's no use going and getting beat against Wakefield. I mean, Wakefield are a tough side and they're going to be tough to beat on Friday night. Obviously, it's not at Salford Either it's a it's a it's on a neutral venue or our pitch is being relayed. So that game's going to be played at Warrington. The week after that, we've got a tough fixture against Leeds. Then we welcome Hulkingston Rovers to um, to the AJ Bell. So we've got some tough games coming up then when we're away at Wakefield. And I think we play Wigan away after that in a short turn. And we play two games in a week. So the fixtures will be coming thick and fast at the end of the season. You've got two games that we're going to have to get rearranged as well. That got postponed due to COVID last couple of weeks. So th- you're going to get times like that now. In the season where we're going to be playing maybe two or three games a week, so you can't really rest on that now. But you know, to get that result today, I think I think we've been improved last few weeks. I thought the Huddersfield game was a good win. I think there was a lot of mitigating circumstances in the Leeds game. You know, people getting sent off and, and what have you. So that was that was obviously put us off our game a bit. But that game today has give us something to build on now for uh, for Friday night. As I said before. It's difficult with suspensions because we us missing those last couple of games, the guys who were suspended are still going to be suspended for Friday. So um, hopefully we get a few players back in. You know, Elijah Taylor didn't play today. Tualol here didn't play today. So I'm presuming they, they could have been poorly with the virus and things like that. So uh, let's see if we can get some more bodies on the pitch for Friday.
0: Yeah, and obviously lots of tries as well uh, against Castleford, which is which is great because obviously we've talked about how Salford have struggled uh, to to post points, and and obviously against a younger Castleford side, they showed the experience, but they also showed that they know how to create, which is great.
2: Well, yeah, if you go back through our games, Rob, we scored nine points against Suddersfield, we scored twelve against Leeds, we scored four against Hull KR. We scored 18 against Warrington, 16 against Wigan. So in those games, yeah, I don't think my maths isn't a strong point. But we scored nil against St Helens as well. So if you go back through all them games to the sort of the mid middle of May, I don't think we have scored 70 points in all those games, have we? So, I mean, the, the most points we scored all season was in the league fixture. We've not really got above 18 points this season. So it was nice to to see the players smiling and scoring tries and creating opportunities for each other. And I think it's another game as well where Declan Patton and Chris Atkin have played together. Uh, that's a new partnership, was another game they've got under the belt. So uh, that that partnership seems to be seems to be building now, and, and and it's good to see those two players playing together. As I said before, Morgan Escray, that'll do him a world of good. His confidence, because you know he's got Dan Sargeant breathing down his neck when he comes back. But he played well today. So uh, as I said before, Kristen Inu, great to see him back in the side, and and to kick 11 goals from 12. That's a that's a good return. I think he scored 26 points today, Kristin Inu. So not not a bad return from him.
0: Yeah, fantastic return for Christian. And you, obviously, I know you're the uh, the 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 all of Hive and knowledge on Salford. Uh, I'd look today um, at who who kicked the most goals in a game for Salford Red Devils. Off the top of your head, Steve Buckley against Gateshead. There you go. That's why that's why we're paying the big bucks. because he you knows moments <laughs> like that.
2: Yeah, I remember him scoring kicking all the goals that day. I think it was a record for I think I'm trying to think who it is before that, to be honest with you. We probably have to have to go back a long way. But yeah, Steve Blake is an excellent goal kicker. But yeah, it, a great performance from Kristen New today, you know. He's been out as well, you know, due to things he said and things like that. So he's uh, he's obviously, you know, thought about that and, and wanted to come back and play well today and, and impress the supporters and I think he did a really good job. And as I said before, he was very, very vocal in that game today. He always, as you can hear him talking and, and G and the players up. And there's some inexperienced players out there for and As I said, the, the loan signings as well, and they need that that guidance. Sometimes they need that old head to uh, to uh, guide them around the pitch and 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 and, and gee them up. And I think he did that today.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously, other news in the, in the Salford world. Uh, Paul Paul King held a public meeting at the AJ Bell Stadium on Thursday, uh, where he discussed the future of the club and sort of potentially moving out of the AJ Bell Stadium. Um, obviously, it will be a difficult choice to make because obviously there isn't that many um, sort of grounds available in the area. Uh, but it is, it's going to obviously a difficult situation he finds himself. In.
2: Yeah, it could end up being um, Hobson's choice regarding the, the the stadium move, Rob, because you are thinking about these figures that are being talked about for rent? You know, four hundred fifty thousand pound a year. We get what one point five, one point six million Sky money. So four hundred fifty grand out of that is a massive, a massive chunk of that. So then you you're putting a side together on on on, on not as much money as other teams. So you're going to struggle to stay in, in the Super League, aren't you? You're not going to have that sort of depth and quality of player. So what do you do? Do you do you move out and go somewhere where you can have a have a decent side? I don't know. It's a difficult one. It's going to be real difficult over the next. Sort of eighteen months or so. I mean, the good thing is, I suppose we've got a bit of breathing space. We're not going at the end of this season now, we? so we have got time to, to to sort things out and think things through and have meetings and, and work things out. I mean, obviously the supporters being consulted as well, and you know, I, I, I think the people leading the club, as we said on the podcast, you know, as a Paul King and, and Leazy and, and the other guys in the back room there, they're uh, they've got solvent at the heart, I mean, and I'm, th- I'm sure they'll do what is best for the for the rugby club and what's best for the supporters. Yep.
0: Yeah. Obviously um sales shacks are interested in purchasing the stadium, uh, but there is talk. Obviously they said they want Salford secure Salford's f- sort of uh, future secured, which is which is a good thing. Obviously, there's no enemies in this. The um I spoke to Paul King and George Harbon at the end of the meeting at the AJ Bell Stadium. About the future of Sulphur Devils and this have to say. Uh, the future is bright, the present is uncertain. Moving to a new venue in the city would protect the uh, club short term and allow us to grow long term. Is, is that a realistic? Yeah, it, it,
4: gives us, it gives us an opportunity, listen, where we are here now, and it's well known, I'm not speaking out of order, it's a bit of a master-server relationship, um, we, we don't get the benefit of f and we don't get the benefit of, of uh, the comer- commercialising the stadium itself, a um, new venue, the potential is there for us to do that. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's George's particular field of expertise, but yeah, from a commercial revenue perspective, it, it opens up different avenues yeah. that's for sure. The <laughs> that currently don't exist. Yeah, just to add to that as well, you know, when we're talking about the options that the opportunity that leaving this stadium presents to us, we would, we would out of necessity we'd have to find somewhere to have a training facility. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a position where you're pushed to do something, you know, we then have to make the best of that scenario. So that, that would require that, that community share option. It would require raising the funds through that, you know, giving fans ownership, um, finding the match funding to go and create a, fa- a facility that's absolutely first class for rugby league. Otherwise, there's no point in, in doing it. Otherwise, if that makes sense, we, if, we're, if we're leaving this stadium, it has to be for something that overall... It, you know, longer term is a better scenario and fair enough that the short term road might be a bit rocky and, and it might mean X, it's, Y and Z it's, it's, it's in the short term but long term it is about that exactly what Paul presented today it's about that community facility that hopefully we can incorporate other rugby league clubs into training facility, education facilities elite academy yeah. and, uh, foundation, club office staff and all the rest of it so we've got the base for long term development yeah.
0: So that was Paul and George talking to me after the meeting, Paul. You can hear the full interview on the Devil in the Detail podcast. And it was interesting, Paul. The the council want to help us as well, so it'll be interesting to see what happens uh Jartley.
2: Yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, I mean, this is me without my solver blinkers on. You've probably got to look at the council and think how long have they helped us and propped us up for and at the end of the day you can't keep doing that, can you? So we've got to stand on our own two feet. And if we can't afford to be somewhere, you can't be there, can you? You can't keep expecting to people to dig you out of a hole. You can't expect your taxpayers to solver to keep digging you out of a hole. So we've got to come up with some sort of alternative. I think that's probably only fair... Uh, everybody would lo- love it if we could have somebody who, who could bankroll us like a lot of the other teams that, that are knocking about especially in rugby union i think there's a lot of more money seems to be in that sport a lot of the, the clubs in that premiership seem to be backed by big money men and rugby league doesn't seem to be like that anymore i think you've got an elite set of clubs who, who are bankrolled by people but you know salford certainly aren't one of those at the moment so uh, a lot can change though in in, in a space of time can it so we'll have to just see what happens but it's important that you know the the, the public of salford just keep getting behind the side and, and, and doing what they can
0: yeah, Paul King has met with uh, Salford City, uh, Salford city FC's uh, one of well, one of the one of the chairman, uh, Gary Neville, to sort of discuss the situation. It's only early doors, but obviously both good businessmen. and both want uh, sport in Salford to thrive.
2: Well, I think we all do, Rob. I think that's only fair. I mean, I'm not a massive football sport, but I wouldn't wish any ill on on Salford City. You want them to do well and want them to be doing well. And I think the city as a whole, we don't really have anybody else in our city do we've got the, the rugby league side that's been there for a hundred and odd years and, and, the, and the football team as well so surely the people of Salford, the council would want you know Salford have done a lot the rugby club over the last couple of years to put the city on the map you know getting to a grand final a challenge cup final we've probably brought a lot of good publicity to the city um, and I think we can continue that. We do an awful lot of work in the community and if we can do work with the, with the youngsters in the community as well, that's only good and going to benefit the, the people of Salford. So uh, let's for, not forget that stadium was built for, for Salford as a community stadium so that the council and people who, who run the city need to remember that. But um, you know, obviously, as I said before, there's two sides to the coin. You've got, also got to be able to afford to play there as well. So there's an awful lot to be done, isn't there, over the, over the coming months. And uh, as I said, the guys who are running Salford, Paul King... You know, the the executive chairman, I, I'm sure he'll do what's right by the people of Salford.
0: Yep, let's talk about Swinton Lions. Uh, now they fell to defeat uh, against Sheffield, 30 points to 22. Uh, another defeat for Stuart Little's men. Disappointing, they fought hard but didn't get a result.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was a tough one today. Sheffield they've been a bit of an in and outside this season, and you know, Swinton got off to a, the perfect start with Roderick Lloyd scoring an early try. and you, I, I fancied them to win that game today I really did I thought that was a, was a big one for them to, to get a result from they come up a bit short I think the scoreline maybe flattered them a bit in the end they scored a couple of late tries they went and, but they need to start winning sooner rather than later because the two sides go down in that division you've got Oldham who've, who've, who've got well-beat um against Bradford this weekend. So that that's probably done Swinton a bit of a favour. But you need to start getting a, a victories, you know, sooner rather than later, especially home games as well. But another agonising defeat for Stuart Littler's manual. You know, Thirty points to twenty two. It's a game that he have been in, but just just um, just come up short. Yep.
0: Yeah. And this week is the Challenge Cup final. It's gonna be a fantastic occasion. Looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah! I always like to watch the Challenge Cup, Rob. It's um, it's something that I think all rugby league supporters look forward to, don't they? Really we have the Grand Final, but I think the Challenge Cup special as well. The way it's played at Wembley, and I'm sure when it's Lancashire against Yorkshire as well, you know, Saint Helens against against Cast that always adds a bit of spice to it, don't they? I know a lot of people go down as neutral supporters. There's going to be a decent crowd there as well, so I'm looking forward to. That. I think. You know, Castleford seem to have put all their eggs in the, the, the Challenge Cup basket, don't they, resting players? I think they've done that a few times this season. So, you know, Daryl Powell is is looking at this final. It's going to be an intriguing encounter, you know, on the betting coup, but I think they've got a 10-point start, cast. So, obviously, the bookies are, have got Saints as favourites. But anything can happen in a Cup final. You know, Saints... It doesn't sound a long time, does it? But they've not won the Cup now since 2008, I don't think. So that's a long time in their standards. So they'll be be desperate to get the result. But I think, you know, it, for, for me as well, we've got a few XO for players in there. I, I hope Naya Levels has, has a good game. And, and Gareth O'Brien, George Griffin, they're all perts. So, you know, I, I hope they, they play well. And, and it's it's an excellent game to watch.
0: Obviously, with the, with, with the Cup final, the, the Challenge Cup's always a fantastic occasion. Um, obviously crowds allowed in now. Uh, Salford got there last year, but they didn't get any crowds. It's going to make a big difference, that, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And I'm sure it is, yeah. Castleford have a big partisan following behind them but They've not won the cup since nineteen eighty six, have they? The last time they won it. They've been at Wembley a couple of times, but you know, they'll be desperate to, to take that trophy back to Weldon Road. And you've got the, the glamour club in St. Helens. So um, you know it, it, it promises promised to be an intriguing encounter. You know, Castle have got some good players. You look at that's a far Mac in their side and Liam Watts in the forwards. There's a lot of Biff in the Castleford side, but there's some excellent players as well. And you look at St. Helens' team, they've got star names throughout a lot of good young players as well. It promises to be a cracking match you know the weather looks good it's going to be a lovely sunny day at Wembley Stadium. I mean it's just going to be a showpiece encounter and you know after the the, the sort of time we've had with, with COVID and things like that it'd be great to see a crowd in there and, and the sun shining down on Wembley on, on rugby league showpiece occasion I'm really looking forward to watching it.
1: In ice hockey news Manchester Storm have signed three
0: players and two of them Rob, are familiar faces. Yeah, two familiar faces coming back to Manchester Storm. Lyndon Springer, he returns. He's a fan favourite. The Manchester Storm fans will be happy to see that big defensive man uh, return. And Matt Ginn, the goalkeeper, 180 appearances for Storm. Uh, He was uh, a rock in that Storm defence over the last couple of seasons. It's great that he's uh, back in between the posts. And then Adam Brady, Canadian. Forward 36 points in 57 games uh, for him, so he's going to hopefully add a bit of uh, attacking prowess to that Manchester Storm side. So, looking forward to uh, to Manchester Storm seasons coming up, and we'll have it on the Sports Zone uh, on Solford City Radio. We'll cover all the games and hopefully get interviews with the players, and it'll be fantastic. So, make sure you tune in for all that. Now, let's talk USC 264. It finished in huge controversy as Connor. McGregor broke his left tibia at the end of the first round. Break down the fight for us, James. Yeah, it was an interesting rob run. I mean,
1: Conor McGregor looked absolutely sensational for the first minute or so of the fight. He looked back to his best. His boxing was excellent. He was throwing a wider array of kicks and he looked really impressive. And it looked like this could be the Conor McGregor of old. I mean, he's been telling people he's the best he's ever been, even better than before. And that looked possible. But then Dustin Poirier grew into the fight. He landed a couple of shots of his own and Conor McGregor looked hurt quite early. He grasped for a clinch and then Poirier took him down with ease. And to be honest, it was an absolute dismantling on the ground. Poirier seemed to be able to land ground and pound at will. Conor McGregor landed a couple of up kicks of his own, but, I mean, he was bending the rules a little bit. Well, I suppose outright cheating is a better way to put it. Grabbing all of Poiré's gloves to try and drag him into the kicks, which is, of course, illegal. But Poiré was absolutely battering him. And despite the injury, which came as uh, Conor McGregor got up, he stepped back and the left tibia just seemed to completely go. Poiré claimed that he injured it earlier on in the fight off a a leg kick that was checked. I'm not entirely convinced, but either way, Dustin Poiré, is somebody that grows into a fight and knows how to fight through the fire. He gets better and better and better. He loves being in a war. Conor McGregor has had a track record of folding at opportunities like that. When Nate Diaz has put it on him tough, he's folded. He gassed out against Floyd Mayweather. He struggled as it got harder against Khabib. He does fall apart when pressure gets put on him. And I sort of feel like the further it went into the fight, even without the injury, Dustin Poirier was already in control. Round one was meant to be Conor McGregor's territory. And the fact that Dustin Poirier was beating him then shows
0: to me that he would have done it no matter what happened. Could McGregor have done anything different in that second round had the injury not occurred? It's difficult to tell. I mean, every round
1: starts on the feet, doesn't it? And Conor McGregor probably has a slight advantage over Dustin Poirier on the feet, but those muscles that he has, they take their toll and he seems to struggle the longer the fight goes on. And if he was going to win for me, he really did have to win the first round. After that, it's Justin Poirier's fight. You know, you go into the fire and there's only one man coming out of that for me and it's Justin Poirier. So I think if the injury hadn't have occurred, then I think it actually would have been a more, uh, in, in a better victory for Justin Poirier because Conor McGregor now has the excuse of, well, there was an injury. It wasn't a conclusive finish. So I think he's actually saved himself there a little bit. What did you make of the aggressive post-match interviews? I didn't like the post-match interviews at all, Rob. I mean, Conor McGregor was led with his leg essentially snapped in half, giving gun signs to Dustin Poirier, telling him he was going to kill him and his wife in, in their sleeps. It was just incredibly distasteful. And I think Conor McGregor really needs to evaluate where he is right now because he needs to accept that he wasn't winning that fight. and It wasn't overly close. Dustin Poirier absolutely dismantled him. And I know he's an athlete and I know at the highest level of sport, Sometimes you need to make excuses for yourself as to why you lost. Because you can't admit that you were beaten by a better man. But Dustin Poirier was the better man. injured or not, he was losing that fight. And I don't think this has helped his brand at all. I don't think the way he's been going on has helped him. Conor McGregor has had a reputation in the past of being a dignified loser. In post-match interviews with Nate Diaz, with Floyd Mayweather, in the second Dustin Poirier fight, he was humble. In this one, he certainly wasn't. So I can't blame Dustin Poirier for getting angry about it. And I think... I think a line that shouldn't be crossed in combat sports is is going after somebody's family, Rob. Nobody likes that. There can be an issue between two fighters, but you should never go after somebody's wife. I think that's uh,
0: extremely disrespectful. After the win, Dustin has to fight for the belt again, doesn't he?
1: Most certainly does. I think a matchup of him and Charles Oliveira makes sense next, and I can't wait. For that, Rob, I think it's got the whole of the UFC world excited. Justin Poirier has been on such a good run. And aside from Khabib Namagomedov, look at the names. He's beaten McGregor twice. He's beaten Eddie Alvarez. He's beaten Anthony Pettis. He's beaten Justin Gaethje. He's beaten Max Holloway. He's been putting people away left, right and centre. I mean, there's nobody in the sport that's had more fights, more wins than him without winning the UFC belt. And there's only one thing he has to do left in the sport now and that's beat Charles Oliveira for the UFC Lightweight Championship. Yes, Oliveira's a champion, and Dustin has never held that belt. But Oliveira won a vacant title. Yes, he beat Michael Chandler, but he was rocked heavily in that fight, and he's sort of fallen apart, like Conor McGregor has, when it gets deep. Dustin Poirier can take Charles Oliveira deep, and I think he has a real, real, real good chance of winning that belt when he gets the chance. Do you think his farmers will be
0: overlooked because of the result?
1: Yeah. Sadly, I think so, Rob. I mean, as I said before, Conor McGregor's got the perfect out here. He just blames it on the injury. And people forget that he was dominated, I mean, for four minutes of that fight. Aside from the, the very beginning, when Conor McGregor looked on the feet and he was throwing, you know, those big kicks and stuff like that, Dustin Poirier absolutely dismantled him. So the injury gives him a fantastic out.
0: Where does this leave Conor McGregor? Could it be a four fight?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think what happens, Rob, is this. I think Dustin Poirier fights Charles Oliveira for the the UFC Lightweight Championship that Charles Oliveira won against uh, Michael Chandler. I think he wins that. I think he stops Charles Oliveira. And then you do a fourth bout between the pair. And I think Poirier wins it again. After the second fight, it felt like maybe Conor McGregor could make some adjustments. But I feel like now Dustin Poirier is just the better fighter. And I think he wins the fourth fight. I think Conor McGregor's days as a top flight fighter are officially over. There was a cracking co-main event. Uh, what went on there, James? There was a fantastic co-main event, Rob. Gilbert Burns and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, two of the best names in the UFC's welterweight division. A lot of people felt Wonderboy Thompson could give Kamara Usman, the champion, some problems, but he's not going to get that opportunity now, because Gilbert Burns was brilliant from start through finish. Wonderboy had a couple of decent moments on the feet, and he even knocked uh, Gilbert Burns down in the final round with a, a wheel kick, but All in all, Gilbert Burns dominated the fight and he was able to take Wonderboy Thompson down with relative ease and hopefully in the near future he can get another shot at the belt because he dropped Kamaru Usman himself in their last outing and now he's looking at fights like Leon Edwards and Jorge Masvidal to fight and if he beats one of them, I think a title rematch is
0: assured. Final UFC question, James. There was a massive knockout in the heavyweight division. Tell us all about that. There was Greg Hardy, the ex-NFL star,
1: somebody who has a lot of fame coming from another sport, into the UFC. He's an extremely controversial figure due to some of his convictions. You'll be able to find out what they are online if you look at them, but he's not a very liked figure. And he was knocked out called by Ty Bam Bam to Avarsa, the Australian star, in explosive fashion. And that could end Greg Hardy now because it's going to be very difficult for him to come back from that. Fans were really, really happy. And I think Ty to Avarsa, he's on a winning run of three fights. He struggled with confidence in the past, but he's on a winning run now and hopefully he can use all this talent because there's a lot of people saying, including your man, Bobby Knuckles, and he's a potential heavyweight champion if he applies himself.
0: Bobby Knuckles knows what he's talking about, James. He most certainly does, Rob. (laughs) Let's uh, let's move on to boxing now, uh, James. And sad news to kick off the boxing this week. uh, Trilogy bout between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder has been postponed. Tell us why, James.
1: It has. Unfortunately, there's been a 10-person COVID outbreak in the Fury camp. And now the fight... Has had to be postponed. It's said that Tyson Fury himself, despite being vaccinated, has actually caught the virus. So he'll be out of the original July 24th day. they are looking at back end of October to rearrange this one. And I think a lot of the fight world are just disappointed because there wasn't a massive amount of interest in this fight anyway. And I think people were hoping, get this out the way, get Joshua Usyk out the way, and then we can just match Joshua and Fury up against each other. And now we have to wait even longer to see if this fight happens. I don't know who this benefits if it's Tyson Fury or it's Deontay Wilder. I mean, Wilder has more of a chance to work with Malik Scott to get his game plan sorted. But I don't know if we're going to be able to change Deontay Wilder's style particularly. I think he's a one-trick pony, and I don't know if he'll ever be the slickest of boxes. Maybe this gives Tyson Fury more of a chance to get in shape because if people had kept up with his social media, he did let himself go a bit over the COVID year. He really did. So hopefully now he can get back in shape, and maybe the, the delay in time will help him. But a lot of people aren't happy about this one, Deontay Wilder himself included.
0: Uh, Dillian White has offered to step in to face Wilder. Is there any chance of that happening? I think it'd be
1: fantastic for fans to see Dillian White and Deontay Wilder go head-to-head. There's been rumblings of the pair of them getting it on for what seems like years, Dillian White seemingly being the more keen of the two for that fight to go ahead. But do I think it'll happen? Absolutely not.
0: I think you get a rearranged date in October for Fury Wilder and I think the Dillian White rumours are nothing really. England, the Italy may not have gone our way on the football field, James, but in the boxing, it certainly did.
1: It most certainly did, Rob. Lyndon Arthur put on a decent performance in dispatching of David Farachi. He felt a little bit flat. I think he'd admit himself it wasn't his greatest performance, but I still think the boy's got a great deal of talent. He's got a fantastic jab, a lethal counter-right hand, And I think off the back of this fight, he's got some rounds in. And, of course, last time out, he beat Anthony Yard. I think he's working his way towards a world title fight now. And he's the WBO number one contender. He's the mandatory for Joe Smith Jr., who's an excellent fighter in his own right. One of my favorites. He comes forward with a really, really aggressive style. He launches bombs. He takes people out. He has wins over the likes of Bernard Hopkins and people like that. He's from New York. He's a real trade worker, a real blue-collar guy. And people tend to love him. But Lyndon Arthur, Manchester's finest, I think he's got a really good chance of upsetting the apple cart. His effective, skillful boxing style was enough to beat Anthony Yard. Joe Smith Jr. is potentially a bit more aggressive than that, but I still feel that Lyndon Arthur's got a really good style to beat him. But let's not joke about it. Joe Smith Jr. is an elite fighter. He'll be extremely tough to beat. And I think that's a fantastic fight I want I want to see get made ASAP. Lyndon Arthur, Joe Smith Jr., the WBO Light Heavyweight Championship of the World, USA versus UK, New York versus Manchester. Let's get it on. I think it's a fantastic
0: fight. Arthur made some comments about only being given 38 tickets despite being the main event. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, yeah it's interesting, isn't it, Rob? Being the main
0: event, you'd expect Lyndon Arthur to maybe get 1,000 tickets. I mean, the Albert Hall
1: In London, I mean, there's thousands of capacity. I think it's about seven or 8,000 that you can fit into the Albert Hall. It's a big venue. So for the fact that the main event, Lyndon Arthur, especially coming off a career-best victory, was only given 38 tickets, I think is appalling, Rob. I was very surprised by the fact that he was able to address that on air, though. I don't think people behind the scenes on BT Sport and uh, at Queensbury Peralta with Frank Warren would have been very happy that he was announcing behind-the-scenes politics. And it obviously wasn't addressed with the pundits afterwards, so clearly Lyndon wasn't meant to talk about that. (laughs) It's an extremely controversial issue, but you can't blame him, can you? I mean, if you're the main event, you should be given far more than 38 tickets. And he said that even the undercard fighters were given 100 apiece. So the fact that he got 38 is just unreasonable for me. But Frank Warren is somebody who's always had his favourites. People will will remember the Joe Joyce-Daniel Dubois fight. Frank Warren promoted both, but Daniel Dubois was clearly his favourite. When Lyndon Arthur and Anthony Yard met, Anthony Yard was clearly Frank Warren's favourite, and they're trying to push him in the direction of an Anthony Yard rematch. Why? Lyndon Arthur's the number one contender for a world title, and you're trying to push him down a rematch with Anthony Yard, so Yard can hopefully win, and then Yard gets to fight Joe Smith Jr. for the world title, because you see him more as a viable person to make money. Obviously, Lyndon Arthur's got to look out for himself, but he's playing a dangerous game, bringing it up on TV, because
0: uh, it's probably not going to work out well for him in the long run. But he's
1: also got to stick to his guns. It's a difficult one.
0: Boxing legend Manny Pacquiao has had his campaign to be reinstated as world champion rejected. Is that the right decision, James? It's difficult.
1: I mean, I don't think he should have been stripped of that world title in the first place, Rob. I felt it was completely unnecessary. He was trying to make fights. And the stripping was just pointless, in my opinion. They were tri- Basically, what happened at the time was Errol Spence was trying to make a fight with Jordanis Yugas. He was the, now the WBA super champion. He was the regular champion at the time. To try and make it a unification bout for Showtime, the WBA upgraded him. But now it's switched with Manny Pacquiao. It'd look awful for them if they just switched it back, so they've denied Pacquiao. But he never should have been stripped in the first place. The WBA just aren't the greatest of boxing associations. They're really not, Rob. I mean, they're a terrible sanctioning body. They seem to make the rules up as they go along. And it's difficult for casual fans of the sport to understand boxing at the moment because, you know, you have your four... World title belts with four different organisations. That's difficult enough to understand. But now the fact that the WBA and the WBC have two belts, that makes a total of six world champions. How are you expecting boxing fans? Well, not necessarily boxing fans, but casual sports fans to be able to get into boxing if they just can't understand the format. Four belts is difficult alone. Now you're bringing in two for each sanctioning body. It's just ridiculous, Rob. And it's a poor decision
0: round for the WBA. Floyd Mayweather's prod- prodigy has claimed he would sell out Wembley. Do you agree with that, James? Uh, I've heard a lot from Javonta Davis and his
1: promoter Leonard Ellerbe. of course. Javonta, very closely associated with Floyd Mayweather. He's somewhat of a mentor and trainer. Javonta Davis fought Liam Walsh, uh, a British lad, at the Copper Box a few years ago, and he did about 7,000 tickets. You can get 100,000 at the boxing events at Wembley. Javonta Davis will be lucky to sell a tenth of those tickets. He's becoming a big star out in the States. But he's not big enough to sell 100,000 tickets over here, Rob. He's not even big enough to sell 100,000 tickets in America. Even Baltimore, his home city. I mean, what they're doing, this whole Floyd Mayover camp, they've said that Javante Davis doesn't need to fight outside their promotional stable at showtime because they don't need to make other promoters great. But all the big fights from the Ryan Garcia's, the Devin Haney's, the Lomachenko's, you know, all these sort of people, they're all out of his promotional stable. So are you just going to prevent your fighter from being great? You're going to put him in matchups that nobody cares about. The only way you're going to sell out big arenas, the massive, massive pay per view buys, is to fight the massive names in your division. And if you're not fighting any of that, you won't be able to sell out, you know, Deepdale or Silver City's crown, never mind Wembley.
0: A Farmer world champion has been banned for just six months for testing positive five banned substances. Is this enough of a punishment, James?
1: No. Absolutely not, Rob. Not at all. I think. Six months for testing positive for five banned steroids is an absolute disgrace. What is the deterrent for people who are taking performance enhancing drugs if they know that the only time they're going to get out of the sport is six months? That for some people, that's how often they fight once every six months. Mm. It, it, it means absolutely nothing, Rob. I mean, let's say, for example, you're an athlete and you're looking at performance enhancing substances. And for one, you're thinking everybody else could well be on them. And two, if I get caught, that's six months. If you look at the money reward, the risk reward scenario, there's far more reward than risk. Because you might look at, you know, you've got a world title fight. You think, I win this, I can set my family up for life. I can have bigger fights down the line. I might make millions of pounds. And the only risk is that you won't be able to fight for six months. It's more than risk. You're risking it for millions and millions of pounds, which is more than worth it, I think, Rob. I mean, who's not going to take up on that? I mean, you'd have to you at this stage, you have to be you have to have very high morals not to do it, because there's no real risk.
0: Derek Chisora and David Haye have announced they will no longer be working together. Is that a big surprise, James? It's a massive surprise, Rob. Derek Chisora has
1: looked exceptional uh, whilst working with David Haye. He's rebranded his war rather than Del Boy, And he's put in two fantastic performances against Alexander Usick and Joseph Parker. He claims he was robbed in both of them. I don't necessarily agree. I think Usyk beat him fairly comprehensively. I mean, Chisora looked good for the first couple of rounds. But aside from that, Usyk won the fight. But as for the Joseph Parker fight, I thought Chisora won that. And the fact that there's a rematch coming up, it seems like a bit of a shame that he separated with David A. Because Hayes got him in the best shape he's ever been in. and seems to have done wonders for him mentally. So... I don't think it's good at all. I think he should have stayed with David Hay. But then again, we don't know what happens behind the scenes. So best of luck to Shazora for whatever he does going forward.
0: Australian star Tim Zhu put on another great performance last week and called out Liverpool's Liam Smith in the aftermath as well. Tell us all about that.
1: He did, didn't he? Tim Zhu is fast becoming one of the biggest stars in world boxing. He's selling out stadiums left, right and centre in Australia. He's selling huge pay-per-view buys. He was scheduled to fight Michael Zarafa. He pulled out and made an excuse about COVID. And then he had to fight late replacement Steve Spark, who has a bit of power. And Tim Zhu was able to get rid of him inside of just three rounds. And now he calls up Liam Smith. And it's probably the hardest test of Zoo's career. I mean, up until this point, Jeff Horn was probably the toughest test, but he was obviously a welterweight moving up. So I think Liam Smith is the hardest opponent of Tim Zo's career. And it's fantastic to see the man actively wanting to step out of Australia to pursue big fights over here in England, because he's got stardom over there. He doesn't need to travel. There's a lot of money, and he could probably get a world title fight over here. But he's making the correct step-ups at the correct time, and he clearly wants to be a great, in the, you know, like his father was. So I think it's a fantastic fight. I think Liam Smith would really challenge him. So that's the fight I want to see made.
0: Last boxing question, uh, James. Uh, The boxing world was hit with sad news that Sebastian Eubank sadly passed away. Our thoughts go out to his uh, friends and family, eh?
1: Most certainly the son of a legend, Chris Eubank Jr., Sebastian Eubank. Only 30 years of age, leaving behind, you know many siblings, a mother and father and unfortunately a baby as well. So extremely saddening news. And our thoughts and prayers go out to the entire Eubank family and indeed to the entire boxing world for this awful tragedy that's occurred.
0: Yeah, so sad uh, when uh, when that kind of thing happens, James. And uh, so sad now that there's the, the, the end of the show. Really great. We've been talking sport. Uh, obviously, England, the result didn't go our way, but it's great to talk all things sport in Salford and beyond. Absolutely, Rob, absolutely. I mean, it's been a terrible time for England
1: over the last 24 hours, but I hope people remember how much the country came together and I hope we all get behind
0: the lads coming back, especially the three that sadly missed the penalties. Cheers. Big thanks for tuning into the
3: Sport Zone on Solversit City Radio and we'll see you next Tuesday for more Salford Sporting Chat.